All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up right at 400 points, or 1.2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 57 points, or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 152 points, or 1.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 11.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 11.4%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up an even 9%. Thank you, Jeff. And as of Friday's close, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 closed on Friday at both at all-time highs, with the NASDAQ still below their all-time, its all-time high of 14,175 that it reached back in February. So the NASDAQ has a little bit further to go. But so far year-to-date, the NASDAQ has definitely been making up ground versus the Dow and the S&P, particularly since the end of the first quarter. This week, as I was putting the finishing touches on the market comments uh, that we are going to be posting on our uh, new website here probably sometime next week, I was reviewing the things that we had said uh, on our fourth quarter 2020 or end of the year a market wrap up and making our predictions for the year. And I, uh, we had said that we thought the S and P 500 would be up between 10 and 15% for the year. We're already there and we're not even through four full months of the year. So does that mean that we're going to be uh, treading water from here in the year? Uh, or does that mean there's a correction on the horizon? Uh, I think probably, there's going to be some water treading somewhere in here, but I do think at some point there's there's going there's going to have to be some sort of uh, of correction. We just can't keep going up one percent a week. Uh, I mean, it'd be for great. the entire year. I mean, I mean, twist my arm, I'll take it. But now, sure, it's not it's not realistic. It's not it's realistic. Not gonna, it's, it's not going to happen. I thought I said ten to fifteen percent a quarter. On the S and P. Oh, is that now you're yeah. just kidding? I'm just kidding. No, 
No, that was not I, it. Again, again, we would take it, but but that but that's not realistic. And I agree with you, Jeff. I, I also upped our prediction for uh, interest rates as measured by the ten-year Treasury in our latest market comments. I, I think I originally would put in uh, a half to three quarters of a percent increase for the entire year, and at one point uh, earlier, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, the ten-year Treasury was was pushing in and around one point seven percent yield. It's now since backed off to just slightly under one point six percent yield, but that's still uh, uh, much of what we'd already predicted for the year. I, I, so I've raised our prediction to somewhere between two and a two and a quarter percent sometime this year. Not sure if we'll end the year there, but I think interest rates are going to be a little higher than what we had originally expected. But the markets have by and large digested the increase in interest rates rather well. Does that mean that all that all stocks have done equally good, you know, have, are all up 11.4% as the S&P 500 uh, currently is? No, of course, of course not. The, the growth versus value, uh, value is still beating growth this year, the complete opposite of 2020 um, by a pretty wide margin. Uh, it, it's being reflected in some of the names that we own in our portfolio still that did very well last year, and they're doing fine this year. They're just not doing as well as, as some other stocks. Now, will earnings that are now – that next week, earnings will really be, begin, be coming out in earnest. And some of the big tech names are, are going to be on tap here in the next five, six trading days – it's going to be very interesting to see how some of those react to their earnings reports. First thing that comes to mind is Apple. We've been talking about, you know, Apple's earnings uh, for the for the fourth quarter of last year that came out in in January were way ahead of expectations, and the stock basically has done nothing since. Uh, <clears throat> but but, but again, that that's the big question because we saw value with its outperformance in the first quarter of this year. But so far in the second quarter, and we've seen so far this month, we've started to see growth starting to pick up the pace, the buying pace, and some of the tech names. And and one big sector that has really been underperforming this year has been healthcare, believe it or not. And healthcare, which for year over year over year, has been a really hot sector from a performance and a momentum standpoint, you know, just below what technology has, has done you know, historically going back several years and healthcare this past week has finally started to catch some bids or catch some buying because we saw some of our healthcare names, you know, have three, four, five percent up days this past week. And so healthcare is starting to get a little bit more of a look from investors since it has been underperforming the first, you know, three and a half months of this year. And as far as earnings, Jeff, I mean, this past week, you know, a lot of the a lot of the banks, big banks came out, earnings beat top and bottom line across the board. Didn't have any huge upside breakouts from a performance standpoint because the financials have been having a better year so far year to date. But we yeah, saw very it, solid earning results from the big money center banks. This yeah, money, money's been flowing into the banks because of higher interest rates. Uh, Generally, higher interest rates are good for investing in bank stocks because their net interest margins get wider as interest rates go higher. Doesn't it's not great for borrowers 
obviously, but even at these low interest rates and, and them going up just a little bit, we're still we're still at historically uh, low interest. We're just not at historically the lowest rates we've ever seen. Nor do I believe uh, that I we'll ever, we'll ever that we'll ever see a ten-year <laughs> Treasury at 031 percent. Uh, like they were on March the 9th of 2020. That's probably some, uh, it's highly unlikely that we'll ever see anything like that again in our lifetimes. I mean, that kind of like Mark, the, the Mark Haynes bottom back in March 9th of 09, calling it the generational low. That would be considered the generational low for the 10 year Treasury yield. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncab.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we were going into earnings season, which started this past week primarily with the big money center banks uh, beating top and bottom line across the board. And I just wanted to kind of bring everyone up to speed where we are so far. And this is as of Friday. And according to facts said, overall 9% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported actual results for the first quarter of 2021 to date. Of these companies, 81% have reported EPS earnings or earnings per share above estimates, which is above the five-year average of 74%. Now, if 81% is the final percentage for the quarter, it will tie the mark of the second quarter of 2018 for the second highest percentage of S&P 500 companies reporting a positive earnings per share surprise since FactSet began tracking their numbers going back to 2008. So in aggregate, companies are reporting earnings that are 30.3% above their estimates, which is above the five-year average of 6.9%. I mean, that's a huge okay. difference. So if you want me to throw, throw a, little, a little bit of cold water on that, just a oh, touch. Yes, please. What, oh, what, hap- what yes, happened in 2018? Breath. What happened in 2018? Well, in 2018, in the fourth quarter, we had the big corrective move. Right. Because and, 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 you and, I, and you and I were sparring, sparring before, uh, the, the show, before the show went to air about whether the Federal Reserve would change their tune at any time during 2021. And I, we, we had talked about a, a Federal Reserve governor that I, whose name escapes me, one that I've really never heard of. I think it came out on Friday. And Clouda? So, Clouda was, it, was in Was it Clouda? Okay. What, what, I, I don't remember who it was. It was, it was someone, it was, I thought it was on Friday. The, it came out and basically said that the market is, that the economy is just primed to skyrocket. Those weren't, weren't the exact words, but along those lines. And then he well, said, and then, and then, in addition to saying that, uh, the, the person, the, the Federal Reserve Governor said that that they saw no need to make any changes to interest rate policy, and 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 well, let's talk about that. Okay. Let's, let's talk right. about that because because they, the Clouda, I believe it was Clouda, if memory serves me correct, said, you know, he doesn't anticipate seeing any kind of discussion about raising rates until late 2022 into 2023. And then Jerome Powell echoed the same sentiment this past week. 
And so even though they're talking about, you know, sizable GDP growth for, the, for this year, the economy recovering from the COVID pandemic as states continue to reopen across the country, more vaccines get in arms, all the positive things that are going to be happening into, in the economy, that they still feel that inflation is going to be moderate and it's not going to necessitate the Federal Reserve to act. Now, granted, that's as they sit today. Things can change. Right. And what the word that Powell used is transient. And, and that yes. means, in essence, what that means to me is that there will be periods of, of higher, where uh, increasing velocity in uh, inflation in times where the, where the velocity has gone down. And speaking of velocity, if, we, if that's going to be the word for this weekend's show, the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, was announced this week on Tuesday, and it, and it was up six-tenths of a percent in the month of February, which ties for the largest increase since August of 2012. Uh, so that, that's, you know, we're pushing nine years since we've had a month-over-month month over month change in the Consumer Price Index that high. And it's 2.6% year-over-year change since March of 2020 when we were at the depths of the COVID crisis. And so when you talked about that earnings number being you know, so far, if, 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 if we – if percent Well, no, you said surprise. 81% of, of the company so far, which is a very small 9%. 9% yeah. been, and, if that, and if that percentage was to carry through to the, for, the, for the entire uh, earnings reporting season, that it would tie what occurred – in basically the second quarter, I think it was, of, of 2018, I said, what happened at the end of 2018? The end of 2018, the Federal Reserve changed their tune and said that they, that they may start they, they yeah, were, they may may. start raising interest rates, and that caused a 20% uh, decline in stocks in a pretty short order. But, but this is where our big debate comes into play, Jeff, and what we were debating before we started recording the show. I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to even be whispering raising rates or stopping quantitative easing until all the state economies are open. We're all back to not having to wear masks 24-7. Well, at least in Texas we don't, but in other states that are a lot more restrictive than we are. And unemployment gets back down to the pre-pandemic level. I don't think they're going to be talking about that. And, yes, we're going to see transitory inflation in certain sectors. I mean, we've already talked about lumber and the supplies that go into homes and the kind of inflation that they've seen there. Yes. But gasoline, well, that's, you know, we know why that, why gasoline is higher. We don't need to go into that. All of our listeners know why gasoline is higher. But the bottom line is, even with this transitory inflation in these certain sectors, because the way that the Federal Reserve is now calculating monetary inflation and averaging it over an extended period of time, that is going to give them cover to continue to not have to raise rates. And, is, and there's the oldest saying on Wall Street, you don't fight the Fed. And if the Fed is going to be dovish, their dovishness was reiterated this past week. Now we see corporate earnings just blowing past estimates. Now, granted, you know, we're comparing it to, to the, the earnings of the COVID pandemic from 2020. So obviously they're going to look huge. But when you're also talking about GDP growth between 7 and 8%, the biggest thing that I've been hearing in the financial entertainment press 
it's finding people to go to work. Companies all across the country are having problems getting people to come back to well, work. Well, because are, of the stimulus checks. Exactly. There are, there are a ton of restaurant owners here locally in San Antonio, and one of them just opened up a brand-new barbecue joint, and he could not get servers or bussers to come back to work to open up. So to your point, Kyle, I mean, that's a very major factor. And when are we going to actually have full employment? Maybe September when we start cutting off some of these unemployment well, checks. Well, you have, you have full employment when they stop getting stimulus checks. I actually, yes. heard, I actually heard talk about this week about another stimulus package. Well, I mean, it's no surprise, you know, with, with Congress people spending like drunken sailors, and that's an insult to drunken sailors because they're, <laughs> they're so much more, they're so much more egregious. But, but I even heard, I even heard the head of Red Lobster on Friday morning talking about that the servers and Red Lobster across the country are making well over $20 an hour with tip, and he can't find people to come and work and to be servers. Well, so, so, so obviously the, this stimulus and, and, and all this money that has come from the COVID relief, which some people desperately needed it and God bless them and, and hope they're doing fine and doing okay. But a lot of people got the money that don't need it and it's keeping them out of the workforce when there's companies across the country ready to hire with benefits and great pay. Well, I think I, I don't agree that, that, that you, uh, with your, contention, Kyle, that you believe that the Federal Reserve isn't going to say a word about raising interest rates. I think that'd be the Not first place. I, I think Not that'll be year, the first, that'll be the first place where, where they, it'll be talk. It won't be action. It'll be Jeff, talk about it, taking but, but action. Jeff, but, but Jeff, we saw what talk did in the fourth quarter of 2018. Hopefully Jerome Powell learned that words but have Powell, consequences. But Powell, yeah, Powell, Powell doesn't make, in, make decisions on interest rates 100% based on the value of the stock market. No, so I, 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 I understand I that. I don't, think, I don't think that we're going to have – if we had the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, go up seven-tenths of a percent next month, eight-tenths of a percent the month after, nine-tenths of a percent the That month would not be that, transitory. Or have, or have a 1.1 percent, you know, somewhere we have an over 1 percent change month over month, uh, you know, I'm not in the camp that the, that the, even though the Federal Reserve has said that they're going to allow monetary inflation to run "quote unquote" hotter than than two uh, percent for a more extended period of time than they maybe otherwise would have in the past, I don't think they're going to let it go to four or five percent without saying something. Now, are we going to get but, to? But, four, but, but are, yeah, exactly. Are you? Yeah, are I you, think we you, could. You think we're getting sure? To four, five, Why not? In, in an Amazon economy. And for and, our listeners that don't know what that means when I say Amazon economy is because technology, in my belief, has what's helped keep monetary inflation at bay because there's so much more competition for the consumer's dollar and they're always competing on price. And it's a race to the bottom. Well, and it's a race to the bottom when it comes to price. And, and they've done stories about it years past in the Wall Street Journal talking about this Amazon economy. And again, a lot of, you know, some of this inflation and a big chunk of this inflation actually comes from services. You, you do know that Amazon doesn't always have the lowest prices on everything. Right yes, now. Jeff. I'm, I'm just saying what I mean by Amazon. I'm not talking about Amazon. Jeff shops online talking, a lot. He knows. I'm just talking about technology in general is bringing the prices of, of consumer goods down. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
The Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. All right, so I got a question. I got a question to start off. I might have an segment. answer. Okay. okay. It's, it's almost but, Davidson fight night or fight club. No, but not it's quite. not. No, no, no. It's just it's healthy debate. It's just a, it's it's just we'll call it a poll. How about that? Okay. So I'll just ask either one of you the question. Do you think at any time before the end of 2021 that the consumer price index year over year on whatever you know month between now and, and the end of the year will have a reading in excess of 4% at any time between now and the end of the year, year say, over year. I say yes. Okay. Year over year, CPI above four. Because mm-hmm. remember last month's, you know, we were comparing to March of 2020. No, I know. Are, are prices rising in March of 2020? Because we don't gamble on Davidson Capital Management money-wise. No, no. How about a lunch? Okay, betting lunch. Well, 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 well here, here's the thing. If we're doing year-over-year comparison, then, yeah, there's a very good possibility okay. that we could see a CPI over 4%, but that's going to have an asterisk next to it because we had an economy that was shut down. We still have states today. No, 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 no. It, it, could be no it, could be, no, it could be November to November. I mean, it could, be October, no? to, it could be October if, to October. But if, that's, if, that would be twice what the Federal Reserve's target is, right? If we had a year-over-year inflation, if we had – if we had months where we, where we got to like over three and then it got to a high 3% and the next thing you know, it's over 4% and you don't think Powell ain't going to come out and start saying some words about, well, we're probably going to have to be looking for looking at change. You know, they're, they're no, going to use no. all those federal, federal reserve speak words that they always use. You know what, you know, what's coming. They're going to talk it down before they raise the rates. They're, they always come do. Back, they're going to come back and say that even it, even though the CPI is at four percent, if it does happen, that that this was just transitory because of the fact that there it, was such there was a shutdown okay. in twenty. A, a lot of but the Fed governors are already predicting that. Here, here's so. the other thing. Here's the other thing, which we haven't said anything about. If Dad was here, he'd be slapping us all upside the head. We're spending too much time talking about the Fed. The markets will have already raised interest rates, and so. The, the issue is going to be that the Fed will get behind the curve if next thing you know, the 10-year treasury is, you know, well, what, over two and a half. But you push what's it, happened the last two weeks, Jeff? I know. It's, it's backed happening? off a little bit. You know, it's backed off a little bit. And, and it backed off a lot more this past week on the 10-year no, but, treasury, then, closing, you know, at, closing at 1.58%. On Friday, because that's six state, basis points. That's nothing. Know, okay, but it was just another reiteration of okay. the dovish stance of the Fed. And the reason why we're talking about all this and why Dad gets so upset about us talking about the Fed is, you know, hopefully we're not boring our listeners to tears. But this does correlate to the stock market because, just like I said, at a, I believe it was the first segment of this weekend show, there's an old saying on the market in the stock market: "Don't fight the Fed." And, and, if, the Fed looking, if the Fed's dovish, if the Fed is dovish then that is a, a, a positive sign for the market 
and the stocks to continue yeah. to move higher. Well, not, it'll, maybe not it, in a it's, straight line. It's going, to be, it's going to be a Federal Reserve governor that you've never heard of is going to say something not dovish in sometime in the next six months. And so now and everyone's asking. But the markets will, will, will take it and run with it, you know, as they always do. But he, and so here's the, everyone's like, well, what should we do now, Jeff? What should I do in my portfolio? If you're saying that there's this, this imminent, you know, acceleration of inflation and it's and it's and, and, and an imminent and an imminent, okay, potential. There, can we not say that inflation is going to be accelerating? I mean, do you do you not believe that inflation is is not going to be accelerating? Kyle, come on, really? Again, again <laughs> I, I'm going to. It's a, to it already started. It state already state started. That, I mean, do, I'm not talking about. I'm talking. I, the question transitory. was. It, now the question is, do you expect inflation to be accelerating? It's just, you know, yes. I mean, I mean, that's my view on it. What about yours, Joe? Year over year, yes. Yes. Let's go back to Well, month over month, year over year, yes. Okay, but let's go back to, to twenty. How could it not? Pandemic. Okay, let's go back to pre-pandemic. Let's go pre-pandemic when we had in, unemployment below 4%, lowest unemployment in the last 50-plus years. Right. Everybody was working. The lowest 10% of income earners in this country saw their income grow three times over during the Trump administration. I mean, those, by the way, are the were the biggest recipients of really the tr- Trump's policies as far as from an income standpoint was the lowest 10 percent of income earners. No one ever talks about that. But the lowest 10 percent of income earners, they saw their income, their 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 take home pay triple, triple. So let's go back to 2019. Let's do a CPI comparison to 2019 not 2020. And the Fed could do that. The Fed could go back and look and say, well, let's, let's see what inflation looked like. And let's compare from 2019 when the economy was open. Because the thing is, is you have to think about the economy in 2021. It's like a spring that's been compressed. And when you compress a spring, you can only push it down between your fingers far enough to where your fingers are touching. And then eventually it has to release. And that is the spring. That well, is the rebound and, and about, of also, the economy. And how much stimulus money has been pumped into the economy since this pandemic began? That's true. But, Joe, what have they been doing with that money? They've been paying off credit cards. So they've been paying down debt. They've been saving it because we've seen over, start four, spending it, or, over $4 trillion in, in, in cash sitting on the sidelines. And they've been investing it. And we've also seen the millennials finally wake up to the stock market and like yeah, what is this thing they've been investigating GameStop and hundred million dollar delis <laughs> in New <laughs> no, don't Jersey even, don't even go there but, We're not, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, but that's the thing and so we've we've got we've got consumers flush with cash most a lot of people just again these are statistics and I'm sure there's people that might be listening to this show that are that are having a hard time and God bless you if you are but but there are people across this country that have been saving their stimulus checks. They've been investing their stimulus checks. They've been paying down debt. So we're seeing consumer debt going down, people flush with cash. Yes, as economies continue to open up, they're going to be spending it. But when it comes to goods and services, I go back to my original statement, the Amazon economy and the race to the bottom on prices to compete for a consumer's dollar is really the big driving force. It's not like it was 30 years ago when you could go to three places to buy a lawnmower. You can go to 50 places online and buy a lawnmower now, and it's shipped to your house in two days. It wasn't like that 30 years ago. So I understand what you're saying, Jeff. 
doing the year-over-year comparison from 2020 to 2021 for the for the consumer price index. Let's look at 2019 to 2021, when the economy was fully open and unemployment was below four percent. So, given my view of you know what what inflation may do in the next three, six, nine, twelve months out, what should we what should the listeners be doing in their portfolios right now. I know I've had some folks that I've spoke with, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to get really defensive. And I, and I, and I think what you have to, the analogy I'd like to use is, is that you don't board your house up for, for hurricane season in December. Or if there's not you know, a storm we're, in the Gulf. We're, we're just, we're not, we're not there yet. Um, I think we're closer to there than we were six months ago. Um, I, 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 uh, I some of the, some of the things that we're seeing in the marketplace with cryptocurrency and things related to cryptocurrencies, um, uh, you know, right now I don't, a bit frothy. I, yeah, a bit frothy. I, I, I wrote a little bit in the, in the market comments, making comparisons between cryptocurrencies and, and late 20th century dot coms. And the thing about the late 20th century dot com era is you know, a company would come out and, and change its business model or put .com on its, on its name of the company and the stock would go up, you know, 30, 40, 50% or more in a matter of weeks, you know, that, that was, you know, showing that was definitely the signs of a, of a market top and a, and a big bubble brewing. When we start having companies, you know, company after company after company come out and say that they're going to start accepting uh, cryptocurrency, whatever it is, uh, as payment for goods and services, and their stock prices go up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% in a matter of weeks, you know, then I, I can really start to get you know, concerned that that, that uh, asset class is, is, is being fueled by uh, some really rampant bubble-ish type speculation. That's not what's happened. We didn't see much of a move in, in Tesla's price when they announced that they were going to start allowing people to buy cars with, with uh, a Bitcoin. And, and the thing is, I mean, <clears throat> is it a store of value when Bitcoin can fluctuate three, four, five, ten percent in a given day? No. I mean, you go to buy your Tesla and you think you've got enough Bitcoin to, to cover right. the cost, and then all and of a sudden Bitcoin's having a bad day, and you, now you can't buy it. And is I'm not really concerned. Yeah, and I'm not concerned that if if there's another 40, 50 plus percent uh, correction, crash, whatever you want to call it in the value of cryptocurrencies, whichever flavor you, you like, um, I don't think that's necessarily going to spread into the broader market as a whole uh, and cause some sort of you know, market, you know, big market turmoil. turmoil. Over, over big, over big. Yeah, I'm not, I, don't, I don't see that. Some people have wondered if that might happen. And that's just not not something that I'm particularly worried about. But 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 I think like what you said in the market comments was was dead on, Jeff. It's not really about the Bitcoin currency itself. It's the technology that runs at the blockchain. And there there is really a good opportunity for this technology to be utilized within the financial markets and just a bunch of different kinds of markets and industries. So it is very much the blockchain is definitely a legitimate um, computer system and technology. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send emails to Davidson, excuse me, moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Geez, I'm already ready for the weekend. Just, so, it just happens sometimes. Good job, Kyle. It's, yes, thank you. Appreciate it. It's Friday. Say, you, know, you know what it was? I was thinking about, and it's actually our, the launch of our new website. Is what I was thinking. because I was He's giddy. The Davidson, yeah, the davidsoncap.com website. Uh, that we just went live this past week, and so it's uh, nice. I, I will I will say Jeff's market comments are extraordinary, and they are they're lengthy, but they're awesome. Yes. So. Um, you know, one thing we, we kind of tease the listeners a little bit. Uh, there's some we've been having some discussions about having our own YouTube channel. And uh, and we've got faces for radio, but yeah, we have faces for radio. I, I'm going to go buy go to Ulta and get some makeup, which we own in our portfolio just for this. No, we used to own Ulta, Joe. Wait, <laughs> we used to own Ulta. Sorry. Um, and, and maybe we're not going to call it the Money Wise Guys. We're going to call it the Brisket Boys. Or the Man, I got I got, I got I got I got I get I get no reaction from that. But I did get several clients who really loved our brisket analogy from last weekend show. That's that. That's how we just how we use the analogy of how you how you build a portfolio. All this, all the ingredients you got to let it cook gotta for a while. You got to let it marinate. So a lot of hours this past week just reanalyzing. Going you over don't. Every single position. You, yeah, you don't. Hold on, Mike. Let me finish. And, and, I, and it was and it was confirmed that our brisket is. Simmering. As well, we speak. to clarify and to be compliant, if you open an account with us, you do not get a free brisket. <laughs> it's not like no. you walk into the bank and you right. open up an account, or when I was at a no, certain other bank, <laughs> you open up a brokerage account, you get airline miles. We don't work that way at Davidson <laughs> Capital Management. We keep our fees low to pass on the extra returns to you. That's right. That's right. You, you never microwave a brisket. No. And so, and so, you know, as we're in the last segment of the first hour for our listeners in Corpus Christi and the last segment for this weekend show for our listeners in San Antonio, going into all these economic statistics and the Federal Reserve, I'm sure we'll get an earful from Dad over the weekend as much as we talked about it. But this all does correlate to the stock market. And we have had just the last several weeks just a very nice run back to all-time highs in the Dow and the S&P 500 You know, it's getting to a little bit of an overbought position. And with where we are return-wise with the S&P 500 being up 11.4%, and we've said this on past shows, but just want to reiterate it, that, you know, this year and any time when you're investing in Wall Street, there's going to be volatility. But with this kind of run that we've had, you know, three and a half months into 2021, and as we said earlier in the show, you know, there is a pullback out there. There is going to be a corrective move. Is it going to be triggered? I, I would think if it's triggered, it's going to be more of a technical correction as opposed to fundamentals. I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to be coming out and saying anything concerning interest rates as far as raising it or stopping quantitative easing. 
because we're still trying to get the economy back up to speed. You know, one thing I did want to mention before the before the close of, of this top hour of this first hour is John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House, was was being interviewed this past week on several different shows, and he said just with absolute certainty that this infrastructure bill in the way that it is currently formatted is not going to pass through Congress. And he felt, he felt very secure in saying that these tax increases in the form that they're being presented right now will not go through. Now, take it for what it's worth. I'm sure he still has plenty of contacts on both sides of the aisle in Washington, but for him to go out on national TV on a couple of different interviews repeating this, it's, it's kind of some food for thought because I know that that is a fear that has been in investors' minds of what happens to the market, what happens to the economy with higher taxes, what happens in corporate America, and then passing those higher tax costs onto their consumer, and then just the wild spending that's taking place in Washington, continued wild spending taking place in Washington and what's going to be the end effect. Yeah, I, I think when the, the 2020 election and the dust settled, Kyle made a very, very uh, strong point about Manchin and his impact. And we're already seeing that. Um, yes. It, it, the Senator from West Virginia and what's going to get passed and what is not. And if he's not on board, what, what you're talking about coming to fruition. It's with dead in the, the water if he's not on yes. board. Because because not a single Republican is going to be voting for a tax increase or, you know, any any type of this infrastructure bill the way it is because they want it to be more pinpointed. You know, let's spend $600, $700 million on roads and bridges, airports, very specific um, infrastructure and not just the wish list of every single special interest that the Dems have been wanting to spend money on for the last four years while President Trump has been in the White House. So – you know, we'll see. As I've said on this show, Joe Manchin is the king of Washington because it has to pass his desk. And if it doesn't pass his desk, it's not going anywhere. It's dead on arrival. But the Republicans still do have a, a feather in their cap where they cannot create a quorum, not have a quorum, and then nothing's going to happen. And then we can we can bide our time to November of 2022. Sorry, I had to. Sorry, I got a little political in the last segment, but I just thought it was very interesting, Boehner, and how just sure he was that these what has been presented by the Biden administration is not going to be passing muster and getting through Congress in its current form as it was presented to us. So maybe there'll be a little bit less hand-wringing, hopefully, Well, the, the market. Mar- I, I, well, yeah, I mean, okay. what's the markets in the last few weeks? I mean, it's continued to march higher, and we're just now going to be getting into the thick of earnings season starting next week. Earnings need to confirm the, the moves that the markets have made this year. They, right. we, we've got it. We've got to have 80% plus of the com- companies come in uh, ahead of expectations and give uh, even better outlooks for the remainder of the year, or there's going to be a pause in, in stocks in here next week. We don't have a lot of economic news with existing home sales, leading economic indicators and new home sales. So really the focus next week is going to be squarely on earnings. And and are we going to confirm these stock prices with high with higher expected earnings and better outlooks for 2021? And, and if some of these tech names that have been lagging so far year to date put out again more blowout numbers, maybe we'll finally see them start catching some buying 
as these earnings are released over the course of the next few weeks. But the, again, the big meat of earnings is coming up next week. And of course, we'll be back on the air next week to recap uh, here on the Money Wise program. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for listeners in San Antonio, we'd like to thank, for, thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to listen to the second hour or past Money Wise shows, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. For listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and going into investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time. And I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they released a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time, when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic, historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje objectives and achieve and achieve returns. The result is, is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. 
And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yep. a that's a, a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message, i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the, the conser really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys, Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, Run, runs gold ads. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tuned it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it, to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. 
So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for 
years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined, is especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contrib- if you've if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no risk. Well, isn't this 
in kind of uh, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index the new oh brother did you hear that one right on the head you're absolutely right i mean they use this psych i mean again marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors decision making and they're putting it into their presentations and like you said this loss aversion all the upside none of the downside Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches, and so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist, and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations. Allah equity indexed annuities and, and let's give an example recently you we we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years yes and i can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity say over at least a 5 year time period that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S&P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S&P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Okay. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent perspective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road, more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm-hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re- and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, if analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations, again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent 
in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, ta- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right, and, and not and not you know can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that, I'm getting a ten percent yield, but I've lost fifty percent of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 Zero zero seven zero, or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior, and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys you know i wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can can hurt investors portfolios over the long term and so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect we've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring but we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks. To us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show, is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So So, even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. 
So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and, and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector. That's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success, I mean, even to thinking more of a, contra you know, being more of a contrarian as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who, defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm -hmm. And when you get too busy you, you, you and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities then you can't you cannot take the you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio understand what's going on and take action when action needs to be taken that's right 
And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then a finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. but Because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you'd just bought a twenty-year bond twenty years ago and held it for the twenty years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average one hundred percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I I think again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion. And along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having 
a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion. And it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio. You know, and, you know, again, an old saying that investors would have, I mean, here's something an investor would say to themselves, you know, a stock's historic high was $50, but then it declines rapidly. The next thought in an investor's mind is, well, once my stock gets back to 50 I'll sell. And that is hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this improving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior. And as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing. And I promise you, we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century we'll continue to have that balanced allocation remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area and also you have to remember investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming you know failure to diversify a portfolio you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation. An initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model. And an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning 
the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money is deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20% annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, "Oh, I want a 10% return." But I don't want. But I only want twenty percent of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large. But what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say now. You have to understand if you want an eight percent, nine percent return, you're going to have to have. of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second. I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector, it's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings. Maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401K, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401K, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of cash that's a difference between a seven percent compounded return and a ten percent compounded return, and that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely, another way to help improve your returns: staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not time ing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging. Even when we have very choppy waters. You know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. 
investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.